Hey, Brie. Hey. So what's cracking? Are we starting a podcast or what? We're starting a podcast. But it's more than a podcast. Hello. <laughs> what up, Sus? What up, Brie? How are you? Happy Black History Month. Happy Black History Month. Not the first day, but the eighth day. The eighth day. So what, what day do you stop celebrating since you're half black? <laughs> that's a good one i don't you that's don't a trick stop? question i don't stop selling black history month ever i don't stop celebrating black people ever wow great great answer to a hardball question <laughs> um i love the shade i i mean i think it's it's a different and we could get into it which we are but being black during Black History Month versus being non-black during Black History Month. Do you yeah. think that celebrating looks different for a black person versus a non-black person? Of course. Yeah. I mean, I think I think um, non-black people are probably the only ones that like really like think about Black History Month and maybe how to commemorate or celebrate Black History Month whenever black people, you know, this is, you know, we're black 24-7 yes. every single day. Yes. We're always celebrating other black people mm -hmm. and also dealing with being black every day, I guess. So it mm -hmm. doesn't really stop for us. doesn't stop. Um, and, you know, the Proud family, when they have that episode about Black History Month and Mr. In the new one or the old, the old one? one. Ugh, and okay. he goes, Black History Month, the shortest month of the year. <laughs> It's so sad. We really got gypped. We got gypped. <laughs> Although, With the 28 days. I will say that um, in doing research for this episode, it was it was interesting to hear about the history of Black History Month and why they selected um, February. And yeah. the person who created the origins of Black History Month, his name is Dr. Woodson mm -hmm. in 1915. And it was because um, there's two birthdays that are included in february which is abraham lincoln mm -hmm. and frederick douglas oh wow yes okay and then in the 70s president ford kind of brought it into okay you guys let's make this real let's actually celebrate this as a nation okay shout out president ford shout out president ford with the win for blacks <laughs> i'm curious for you when was the first time you realized you were black and how did that impact your upbringing? I think, <laughs> how did that impact your upbringing? Um, the first time I realized I was black was in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And I remember kids calling me black. I, I, I went to probably a predominantly, I would say like, Mexican Hispanic elementary school growing up the largest racial ethnic group in San Antonio is Hispanic which is 65 percent mm -hmm. um, of the population followed by white and black so growing up I was in a predominantly Hispanic um, Mexican elementary school and everyone would call me black and I remember getting so angry at it mm -hmm. because I said I'm not black I'm brown wow and I remember being in kindergarten, pulling out crayons mm -hmm. to show people that I was brown and not black. Mm. And I didn't want to be called black Why growing up. 
Well, I, I, I don't think I knew any better in kindergarten, but I my mom is um my mom is half Persian. Mm-hmm. She doesn't identify with like Persian culture as much, but she's half Persian. Um, and then a quarter Mexican and we're like a quarter like Spanish, German, French, whatever. Um, and so my mom is like white passing, very fair skin. My Nana is half Mexican, half um, German, Spanish. And so she's also white passing. My aunt who I grew up with is like the whitest of the white people, like white, blonde hair, mm-hmm. green eyes. Um and growing up, I wasn't as close with my dad or his side of the family. So I lived with my white family. And so I think in an effort to try to be as close to them as possible, like closeness and proximity of color to them as possible and to feel like I belonged there, mm-hmm. I didn't want to be black. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be black. I wanted to be brown. <laughs> and what were the first conversations that you had with your mom, Nana, about race? Yeah, I remember my mom and my Nana telling me, like, you are black. Like, this is this is the, the color of your skin. This is the makeup of who you are. And some people might not like that. And some people, you know, might call you names or call you words or say mean things about you. But this is who you are and you should be proud of of who you are. And I was really fortunate, too, because, yes, granted, while my mom is white passing, my mom grew up, majority of her friends were all black or all like some sort of Hispanic and um, Mexican. So I felt like I felt lucky in that sense that my mom was always stressing the importance of like my identity and being like proud of to be proud of who I was and be proud to be black you know my mom was very much like sending me to get my hair braided all the time she was very much like doing my hair 24 7 like putting me in those what do we call them the knocker balls oh yes yeah painful those painful beads for people who don't know they're when little girls get their hair done the hair ties have these like little marbles attached to them and when they like put them on your hair it can hit your scalp and it hurts so bad hit you in the head (laughs) while they're swinging the things around my ponytails Mm -hmm. and I had to go to school every day with like 10 ponytails in my head and I was like why are you making me look like this (laughs) it's like I walk to school very much with like uh, like 10 ponytails all throughout my head and knocker balls all over them and then braids streaming down. I was like, why do I have to look like I was just so confused. Mm-hmm. I didn't get it. I didn't really understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw my white family and they had their hair like slicked back or down and whether it was straight, curly. And I was the only one going to school with like 10 ponytails and braids in my hair. And I was like, I don't get it. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Yeah. But I think, um, I think it just impacted my upbringing and um, being able and or lack thereof not being able to identify so closely to my blackness was the fact that I wasn't really close with my my black side enough. I wasn't close with my family. I felt very much like growing up biracial felt very much kind of alienated from the two. Like I obviously was black to all of my like non-black friends and um not black enough to all of my black 
family members um, and black friends who I encountered with growing up. And that was it was really hard. It was really hard to find where I kind of fit in with um, or in like society and within culture. Mm. Um, But yeah, what about you? Thank you for sharing. I think that it is a I have a different experience because both my parents are black. Mm -hmm. I realized the first time I realized I was black was also when I was in eighth grade or when I was eight years old. And it's funny because I grew up in South Africa and I went to Mm -hmm. a very diverse elementary school. Wow. And we learned so much about black history in South Africa from a young age. And Mm -hmm. I think they had an amazing curriculum. Um, And we learned about Nelson Mandela and my older brother actually met Nelson Mandela and uh, Nelson Mandela came to my brother's uh, kindergarten class which was wild and such an honor. And so I knew a lot about the history of discrimination when it comes to apartheid in South Africa. But I didn't quite realize that that was about your skin color. It didn't quite hit me, probably because I was so young. Mm -hmm. And it was when I came to America, I actually moved to Martha's Vineyard and I went to the Oak Bluffs Elementary shout out Oak Bluffs, um, (laughs) when I was in third grade. And I remember one of my classmates, who's now my really good friend now, was like, you're black. And I said, I did, it was the same thing where I I don't understand what that means. Yeah. I, when people, I think it was because of the connotation that it was said, black is, when you're younger, is really... The connotation is the color is dark and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. darkness is considered bad. Right. So right. I thought it was a bad thing. And right. I don't think it had to do with race, but more about the connotation of the word black. Yes. Versus light. White being like light and pure. And, and prettier and more desirable. Prettier and more desirable. And as I got into puberty, I think it was more about race where it was like, okay, yes, the whiter girls are getting more attention. Right. Um, they're from teachers, from yeah. boys. Right. They have more friends, et cetera. Right. And well, can I just jump in really quick? I don't mean to cut you off, but this yeah. also dates back to there was a study done in 2010 by CNN where there's a young black girl and then she's given, you know, like five to six different shades of mm-hmm. little girls, like drawings of little girls. And they ask her, you know, who's the smart one? Mm-hmm. And she always pointed to to the 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 lightest complexion the white the drawing of the white little girl and it was she was asked who's the ugly one and she pointed to the darkest skin of the shades of the drawings of the little girls and we're there I think we're our our brains are kind of and it's ingrained in us to associate blackness or like blackness to negative things Mm-hmm. And of for blackness to be uglier or less desirable or not as smart. I mean, the media has ingrained that in us. Probably, you know, some some racism, some discrimination, some co- like elements of colorism, obviously. And so, very young, I think we pick up on that yeah. very quickly, especially yeah. as kids come. You come to school, and children are like, "Hmm." You're black. Yeah, and you're like, <laughs> you're like, wait I a second. Defensive <laughs> yeah. You're like, 
I don't know what to say to that comment. And even if an adult said that to me now, I would be like, yes. Yes. I don't don't know what to say. But it's interesting because that study was a, they redid that study from a previous study that happened Uh decades prior and it had the same result. Yep. Um, And it was as you get older, you start to internalize or the study that proved that you start to internalize racism and therefore you see um, blackness as being stupider or uglier or inferior. Yeah. Um, Which is something that it's interesting because in our twenties and even late teens, it's something that you, I felt I had to actively dismantle internally. Right. To get to the point where I love my black features or my hair Mm. or Mm. I admire my, well, I always admired my ancestors, but have a deeper appreciation for who I am. Right. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I think I can definitely relate to that experience of having to dismantle um, the, I think the internal struggle that I was feeling of like wanting to fit in or belong to one group or the other and that was whether that was like with my hair and me asking my mom like I want my hair straight I want my hair to look like everybody else Mm -hmm. Um, and then just growing up in you know the media landscape at the time white was obviously very desirable considered to be like more more beautiful more attractive and like I I mean I think of like the black women that I could think of Um, I think I was too young really to kind of like look up to or admire Janet Jackson but I think of the people that I saw on TV it was Beyonce mm-hmm. and it was like Tyra Banks and I was like mom I want to look like them mm-hmm. like I want straight long hair yeah and I want like more you know I wanted these more like Anglo-Saxon features that would just like make me feel more desirable than what I felt internally which is so sad that is so sad and I think that black girls I hope I I'm curious how black girls are feeling now Mm -hmm. um, and if Mm -hmm. representation is better but yes I agree the representation of blackness when I was growing up was definitely light skin long hair wavy hair yes and that's what I wanted I didn't I wore my hair straight for a majority of my life same oh I I learned I knew how to straighten my hair in the first grade and I was doing it every week and it, well, it started because my mom's best friend took me to the hair salon mm-hmm. once to go get my hair done. Who knew what they were originally planning on doing? But I got to the hair salon. This is my mom's black friend, mm-hmm. and and they're like, "What do you What do you want? Like, what do you what, tell us what you want to do today?" I was like, "I want to look like Beyonce." <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, "Okay, girl, okay. we're gonna make you look like Beyonce." And an hour later I come back with a perm slash relaxer in my hair and I had never seen my mom so mad before my mom. Like I thought her and her friend were going to end their friendship because my mom was like, I could not believe that you took my daughter to a hair salon to do this without my permission. Wow. That is wild. So for people who don't know, relaxer is a chemical treatment that Mm -hmm. you put on your hair that's irreversible, that like breaks down the chemical bonds and makes your hair straighter. Permanently damages your hair follicles. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And 
it was funny because I mean it wasn't funny but this was in the first grade I, I believe mm-hmm. like I remember this being I think first or second grade and oh my god my hair was never the same afterwards it's- like we tried to cut it out we did everything possible and my hair was never the same ever again so what did your mom do with her friend are they still friends? Yeah, they're still friends. She was, I mean, she was very upset. She was, she was, vis- I remember her being visibly upset, mm-hmm. like not happy. Maybe they didn't even talk. I don't know. I, we haven't really spoken about it at in depth or at length at all since. But yeah, it was not good. And it forever changed the texture of my hair. And so I started straightening my hair ever since then. So it was funny because my biggest, the biggest punishment, like the worst punishment I ever got was whenever I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And my mom took away my straightener. <laughs> that was how my mom punished me, where she was like, no straightener. <laughs> and I was dying. I think it was for like months, too. I think it was like two to three months. That's I such couldn't, a good thing. I wish my I could not use that. my straightener in high school. And I was so mad. I was so mad. I hated her. I didn't want to. I didn't want to speak to her ever. That is such a, a unique. Um, <laughs> she knew. Lauren knew. She didn't she fuck knew. around. She knew. She did not play around. She but in knew. the long term, that is. It's. It's funny because a lot of women actually just force themselves to do that to learn yeah. to love themselves, which is yeah. Hide the straightener. <laughs> hide the straightener. Hide the blow dryer. Yeah. Yes. So what was the? And I'm curious what. Do you remember the first lesson in class when you learned about black Black history? history. (sighs) That's sad. I don't. You don't remember? I don't. Mm -mm. I remember. I do. Okay. I do. I do. I do. Okay. AP U.S. history. So that was in high school. It was in high school. Well, I mean, I'm sure I learned about it beforehand. Obviously, you're you're learning about MLK, but I just I don't have my memory. Like my memory definitely is um, deceiving me now because I don't remember those moments. But I remember being in AP U.S. history in high school, and I remember like feeling an overwhelming sense of guilt and embarrassment whenever we were talking about slavery at the time because I remember being like, "Is everyone looking at me?" Because I so then after I graduated from elementary school, um, I ended up going to a PWI. So predominantly, as we call them, predominantly white institutions. I went to a private school in San Antonio where I was probably like one of three black children in my entire like middle school through upper school. Um, And I remember being in class being like, everyone's looking at me right now. And I remember feeling embarrassed by it. I remember being like kind of like sick to my stomach of like, is the teacher looking at me? It, are the students looking at me, you know, it are they going to call on white, me? I'm my assuming. history teacher was, yes, um, she was white. And I remember thinking like, oh, my gosh, she's going to call on me. She's going to call on me to talk about slavery. Mm-hmm. And I was terrified. I don't remember if she called on me or not, but I just remember feeling that sense of like guilt and embarrassment and mm-hmm. fear of being tortured by being called on. I think that is just the biggest takeaway from being black in our lower education is mm-hmm. that you're forced to take on this burden of number one kids are just mean and will say racist things to you at a young age Very and much you so. are forced to react or 
figure out what the ample the appropriate response is right at eight years old yeah which is no number two it is when you're in class the teacher expects you to have way broader knowledge about the topic and therefore speak on behalf of black Uh, black people people. to the school Mm -hmm. um or if there isn't a strong curriculum you have to take that burden yourself and i remember um i in high school i created this thing called like diversity week and i also went to this thing called sclc which is a um independent school like diversity conference and coming back and having to teach the class about the things that i learned wow Mm -hmm. this was in high school this was in high school and how were you of what percentage or what how many people of black people were you in my school in your school yeah i think there's well we just looked it up there's two percent in In my high school oh in your high school okay so i went to an all-girls school and there were two to three girls per grade okay that were you remember yeah that you remember yeah, I, re- I remember the first time we learned about the N-word. In class? In class. I remember I was in sixth grade and I, re- I, went, to, I went home. Why did you learn about it? Because you have to learn about it. Wow. Well, well, can I just jump in really quick, too, is mm-hmm. like I think I later on realized that how the state of Texas, the Board of Education teaches history mm-hmm. is far different than mm-hmm. how people across the u.s Mm -hmm. teach history and i would need to look up like what they omit but i can probably tell you that i did not learn about the n-word in school or class i love how we're saying the (laughs) n-word the (laughs) n-word well with the hard r (laughs) with the hard r and I remember, remember when you had to like read passages and they like <laughs> made you say that. Word. And everyone was you were looking like, at you and you were just traumatized. <laughs> I remember going home and being like, what's the N word? And what, and what, how did that conversation go? I remember it was like, it is a word that was used to um, belittle, discriminate against black people in mm-hmm. America historically. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. This is why we need black education schools. Yeah. So kind of where I wanted to go with that is, of course, we some the curriculum of high school and middle school is different when learning about marginalized communities. Yeah. Now we are in our 20s. And what we learn about when it comes to black history and how we celebrate black history month is kind of the onus is on ourselves. Yeah. So how do you suggest that we celebrate black history? Mm -hmm. The reason I ask is there are several different archetypes or seven different, several different ways. And number one is reading about American black history, which Mm -hmm. is, obviously very tragic and sad and depressing but yeah. it's the truth that needs to be learned mm-hmm. um but i think that that is often where a lot of understanding of black history stops which is right let's watch 12 years a slave or <gasps> even worse Django, or even Stop. worse uh, 
And <laughs> Are these real world scenarios, examples that you're using? I think that's where people, a lot of people get their black histories through Hollywood movies. Fair. So okay, kind of, fair. Yeah, I'm not going to. Yeah, I wouldn't. Right? I wouldn't um, disagree with that statement. Unless people are out here reading like James Baldwin. I mean, I 100% gifted my white ex um, how to be an anti-racist. Great. Yeah. I love him. Ken Kennedy. Professor Kennedy. Yeah. The author. Yeah. Um, but how do you celebrate? So I don't think there's one right or wrong answer. And definitely, obviously, first and foremost, it's way more important to acknowledge that you don't just celebrate Black History 28 days out of the year. You know, it's an ongoing, um, it's ongoing progress. It's ongoing, like learning and also unlearning like any like racist discriminatory behaviors that you have, um, or that you may have ingrained in yourself. So it's a constant commitment and black and it's a constant everyday commitment. Um, but I think like what I always tell, you know, my non black friends too, is I, I feel like I, I don't want to say that I'm the source of like resources by any means whatsoever, mm -hmm. but like, I mean, I think you start with, there are so many resources out there and I think it starts with making smaller commitments, like committing to listening and watching, you know, black owned media projects that are dedicated to, you know, educating people about black America, like black American history. Um, I mean, one of them, you know, it's, it's a book, it's a podcast. They've now made it into like a film adaptation, but the 1619 project is like one of the first things that I, that I think about. I used to, um, listen to it. I listened to it on repeat every night going to bed. Mm -hmm. Um, throughout like 20, like throughout the summer of 2020 after, um, George Floyd. So, it's a lot of it's a lot of like starting there. It's a lot of reading books by black authors. I think it's a lot of like it's reading articles by black journalists. Mm -hmm. It's um, watching films that were created by written by black, you know, black directors, black writers, black producers. The and one to interrupt the sixteen nineteen episode on black farmers. There's so many, so many tidbits in history that I have no had idea. No about. clue. And I had no clue. You have to seek that out, especially now, because yeah. Well, and I think I think that's the most important thing, right? Is like we don't. I'm not perfect. I'm also flawed. Black people, we don't know everything about like our history as well. So it's like it's us also doing mm -hmm. that. Um, education and commitment to learning and unlearning these things I learned so much from that podcast and it's definitely it's one that I like always recommended to to friends and then obviously going beyond that like how do you I think it's really taking a critical look at how you can practice that every single day in your daily rituals and your daily habits so it's like committing to buying from black owned businesses obviously you should not do that mm -hmm. you know one month out of the year but I like to look for black owned brands and businesses that I can shop for or from instead of what I do on my normal day to day. Yeah. Like yeah. my wellness products, there's a, you know, there's a, um, a black owned, uh, black owned brand called, um, a Goldie. And like, I try to get all of my like wellness products for my coffee, for my, like my supplements every day from this specific brand. I mean, you have obviously you've heard about 15% pledge, which was founded by Aurora James. She puts together, um, 
you know, the U.S. population of black people makes up 50% of the United States. So she asked businesses to commit 15% of their shelf space to black owned brand, like black owned brands and businesses. Um, and it's a nonprofit organization that does that. So it's like, it's, it's thinking about how you can put into practice mm -hmm. doing these things every single day and creating more habitual, creating more, habi a more habitual routine and more thoughtful routine for how you can show up for and support black people and also not asking your black friends how <laughs> you can do that yeah that's a good don't, start <laughs> don't give your black friends work um i think that another someone told me this it was actually one of my mom's friends um if you're listening to this that would be a good way to show that you support the podcast my mom's friend but she said <laughs> in her 20s she and her husband um, worked at this really big tech company that is now a huge tech company. And they said they wanted to donate a good portion of their salary so that they felt uncomfortable. They mm. said, how much can we give so that we feel slightly uncomfortable with our salary? Mm -hmm. Which is something that I don't do. And yeah. I think a majority of our friends don't do. Yeah. But it is, what are some of the values? And this doesn't have to go for black history, but for me, that is a cause. Um, mm -hmm. Anti-racism is a cause that is really close to heart for me, for yeah. my nonprofit. So whatever value that is, tenant, mm -hmm. can you make yourself feel uncomfortable by donating your time, yep. donating your money, um, or even donating time, not even volunteering, but reading and right. informing yourself on different on, issues. On different issues. Mm -hmm. um, how would you say or how would you like suggest someone, maybe, I don't know, maybe they're black, maybe they're non-black, celebrate black, black history. history. I think black it's history, black history month. celebrating, it, it looks different for each person. For me, this year is about celebrating black wins because it is easy to go back to the place where it's like, oh, we're so good. Look at how far we've come since 12 mm. years of slave when we were in the field. And that, I think, being in that mindset can be damaging. Yeah. So it's all about empowering our friends, um, supporting projects that they're working on. Right, right. Um, especially, it's, it's hard to put yourself out there. But I remember this moment it was middle school. It was sixth yeah. grade when I lived in Seattle. And there was this program that Russell Wilson put together to um, sponsor black boys in public schools. Uh -huh. And he would take them on a field trip and they got to meet the Seahawks. And I wasn't there, so I don't quite know. But I know that Russell Wilson was affiliated. Okay. And okay. it was so cool. Wow. But I don't I still didn't at the time I didn't give a frick about football, so I didn't really care. Okay. And there was this white boy and he made a petition to stop that program. Another white boy in sixth grade. A petition? A petition. How many people signed it? And he would go he went through all of the tables at lunch and had people sign the petition. Kids. And he got to my table where I was sitting, looked at me turned around and went to the next table. And I think that there's so much to unpack there. Yeah. I wish that schools and, and teachers and administration took that and 
that happens every day in yeah. many different instances for different students across the United States and world as a learning lesson mm -hmm. because I think that a lot of black history in schools is about history mm -hmm. versus, okay, how does that personify itself now yeah. through ways of prejudice or discrimination? Yeah. And yes. this is how and these kids implicit are biases. To these yeah. Things. Yeah. So how can we use that as a learning lesson to say black boys are more likely to do xyz this mm. is a really cool initiative to encourage xyz right right how do you change the narrative around those conversations i guess do you think i mean just really quickly do you think that that would mean that teach i mean one teachers would have to be very well educated mm -hmm. and well versed on these types of topics and be willing to and comfortable speaking on them but then do you think that we'll have to make you know those learnings available for people kids non-black children more palatable like how do you how do you talk about police brutality against black americans to kids who are in like mm -hmm. fourth to sixth grade fourth to eighth grade my, i don't know where you draw the line but. yeah my perspective of this is if black or marginalized communities at a young age have to deal with this and have to be taught about this mm -hmm and it is forced upon people of color mm -hmm. then why do mm -hmm. we have to shield non-white people yeah. or non-people of color to the same topics and issues Ugh. if a dad has to t teach their son about police brutality at a young age the same should go for other kids and we don't have to dumb it down for kids because kids are very um very smart very smart and they understand they're very intuitive and they're very intuitive that it just brought up a memory very recent memory of my god sisters who are black they live in texas and my god sister she's eight right now and she is like one of the highest um has like the highest level of reading in her class and so the teachers like assign her other not like the teachers assign her additional novels to read on top of like their readings in class so like chapter books and they assigned her some novels and I wish I can remember that I wish I can remember the titles but the novels were essentially like like a 12 years of slave right like she's reading like novels about slavery and she has no idea like what slavery is or is about and her non-black teacher gave her these novels to read with no context mm -hmm. with zero to her to her to her parents with zero context as to like why she was reading them what she was reading them for and zero acknowledgement of the fact that they were also probably books that she like were way past her her level of like reading and understanding so it was a conversation that you know her mom had to sit down with her parents had to sit down with her and have of like now I have to have this conversation mm -hmm. with my daughter and talk to her about slavery and w what what slaves are. And it was just in one of those uncomfortable conversations that were brought on, that burden that was brought on to the parents, my godparents, mm -hmm. my god sister. And eventually they were they told the teacher, like, listen, <laughs> if you're gonna send these books home, we need to know what kind of books you're you're sending home for her to read because she's just not ready for it. Mm -hmm. She's not ready for it. Mm -hmm. So 
it like to that point, like you are dismantling these conversations and these burdens are being placed on black kids at a very young age and they're expected to decipher these things. They're expected to then probably be the voice of other black people for the black community in its entirety. And it's really, it's really unfortunate. It is unfortunate and kudos to the administration and the teachers to that are doing a great job in doing this because it's not easy. Not at all. Especially when it comes to black history. And remember when we first learned and it was like, even they wa- a lot of stuff has to be watered down. Mm-hmm. I'm curious why I'm not a child psychologist, but it would be interesting to bring one on um, yeah. about like the pilgrims or Martin Luther King, where it was like, kumbaya everyone was great and then you get to eighth or ninth grade u.s history and you're like psych christopher columbus slaughtered all of the native americans and martin luther king was murdered yeah and yeah talking about i remember learning about malcolm x and that Mm -hmm. was a lot later in my um Mm -hmm. childhood it was in ninth grade i read the autobiography of malcolm x and um warmth of other sons we we should write a a list of some books for people yeah to read yeah we should we absolutely should, and I'm curious too. You know, you mentioned that you are celebrating Black wins to kind of like commemorate and celebrate Black folk. Um, what what are some of those wins that you might be celebrating? How do you like seek out wins to celebrate? Um, I think following Black media outlets. Oh my God! Yes, they're great. Yes, and Black TikTokers. I do this thing where I like go through all of my followers and I remove anyone that doesn't look like me from what I can see and I follow more people who look like me like I recently was like there are so many black women in Hollywood that I should a thousand percent Mm -hmm. be following and didn't know why I wasn't following them so I went through and I just did a little cleanse it's good to to see people that look like you winning um one of them is our queen Beyonce yes breaking the record for most Grammy wins in history. I am so excited to do a full episode on this because I actually took a class at Penn on Beyonce. You did. But sh- it was uh, it was called Family Feud, and it was about Beyonce, Daisy, and Solange wow. and their advancement in their music careers. Uh-huh. And I wrote an essay about how Beyonce, uh, Beyonce lost album of the year to Adele when mm. lemonade was oh that hurt it did hurt that really hurt it me just hurt. now and the only black woman well now i'm going into black losses but the last black woman to win album of the year was lauren hill in 1999 wow and so why that's changed and what the dynamics in the music industry are that impact that so i'm excited to share that i need to reread that essay okay that's really what about you any wins um well you know viola davis just became um was just reached um egot, EGOT status which is Ooh. um what is it emmy grammy oscars and tony award winning um viola davis's book finding me which mm-hmm. is a memoir narrated by her by her um is on my list of books to read this year so i'm excited to read it Raise the roof. Raise the roof. Any other um, black wins? The founder of Topical's Alumni Day is one of the youngest and black woman ever to raise 
10 million dollar series a yeah um so in my job i'm a growth equity investor i am so aware that it's hard for black founders to raise Mm -hmm. and a tiny amount of vc funding a year goes to black people generally right so big kudos to her yeah and um if you're interested in growth equity or you're a founder please reach out to me because i would love to have a conversation with you to try to build more equity and more diversity in the space yeah i love that yeah she really she's crushing it with topicals Mm -hmm. crushing it um but i'm i mean i'm excited i think it'd be really fun to get her on the show to um talk about beauty and beauty standards beauty standards yeah black community i would love to do that probably a very evergreen or actually no more topical win right now but five black presidents have been hired to lead nfl teams Mm -hmm. um in the span of about two and a half years so there have been um black team presidents being jason wright of the washington commanders kevin warren of chicago bears sashi brown douglas morgan of the las vegas raiders and damani leach of the denver broncos were all recently hired which um obviously we know there needs to be more um black representation in on the leadership side or front of um the national football league i myself am not really into football but i thought people might enjoy that given we are super bowls just around the corner and last but not least our girl Rihanna, Riri, getting into something that I invented. Well, a black win is the Black History Month registry. Oh my God! How many views has that gotten on TikTok now? Um, like eighteen thousand. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was fantastic. It was great. Everybody was so supportive. I loved so, it. So background is, I was Facetiming my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, w- alongside my boyfriend and her boyfriend, and we were like, "What are?" I was like, "What'd you get me for Black History Month?" <laughs> and it dawned on me I should create a registry, like a wedding registry, so that people can get me things for Black History Month yes. to commemorate myself as a Black woman. Yes, and I created one for my boyfriend to get me. And I created a list of different things. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage everyone out there to create a Black History Month registry, post it on their Instagram. Um, And it's a good way for your friends, family um, to celebrate your bosses, your coworkers to celebrate you as a Black person. Yeah. And if you are non-Black listening to this, why don't you get something off (laughs) someone's Black ask someone what their Black History Month registry is and get them something off of it. I cannot wait to publish mine because I'm about to be lit. So what what is what is on your Black History Month? Well, do you, let's walk through yours first. Yours was iconic. Okay, so number one, obviously, Beyonce tickets. Heard that right. So I have yet to receive those. Say your Venmo cause to, so people know that you're accepting donations. Um. I don't have Venmo. <laughs> All right. What's your Instagram? If Can you Venmo Brie and then put me in the tagline and she <laughs> yeah. will send it? My Venmo me. is Brie, B-R-I dash Springs. Okay. Brie dash Springs. So Beyonce tickets, um, SZA tickets, which mm-hmm. I have SZA tickets. Um, subtle flex, but okay. Subtle flex. Um, this couch I really wanted, the D-Set A 5600 couch. 
Uh-huh. Um, I wanted the Sandy Liang, Liang slippers. Mm-hmm. Some diamond earrings. Love. Um, dainty diamond earrings. Dainty diamond earrings. Yeah. And I wanted a grills. <laughs> I want custom grills. Yeah. I want wanted custom grills. diamond jewels. Teeth jewels. Teeth jewels. It's funny because my, did I tell this story on the podcast yet? I when I so. asked my friends, it was Kira and Casey actually. Yeah. Like four years ago, they were like, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, I want grills. <laughs> and they <laughs> were looking up like George Foreman grills. <laughs> to put in your dorm room. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wrong grills. Grills with a Z. I got it. So yeah. I really want grills. Okay. I just want to go with cap. Yeah. And some house plants. Okay. I wanted a tree. Um, that's hilarious. On to <laughs> that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Okay, so what's on your list? My registry for Black History Month are the Alexander Wang Nova logo sandals. Okay. Very, very cute. I want to wear them with everything. Um, a Tesla. Shout out electronic vehicles. Oh, you supporting I a, Elon Musk. I need a tax break. Okay. I need a tax break. And so I want a Tesla. A tropical va- vacation to the Maldives. Okay, I need or, to edit mine. Or the Seychelles. Okay. YSL sunglasses. Those can those sound very doable. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they're only like $200, $400. Artist passes to Coachella. Okay, I want this too, by the way. Okay. And a piece of art that there's an artist. She's actually doing an upcoming small show. Um, I think her name is Peppy. I need to look it up. But yeah, I want one of her pieces of artwork. I love in my room the North Stars on this list. Um, I hope a Tesla comes your way. Same, but I really am hoping for that vacation to the Maldives or the Seychelles. Okay, I want to go on that vacation. Yeah, you can come. Yeah, you should come. Okay. Could be like let's manifest. Manifesting. I want to vaca- I want to go on a safari. Same. Too. And um I need to expand my wedding my my black <laughs> Your black history month registry. Okay. <laughs> what did I say wedding? <laughs> Uh-oh. Is there any news that you'd like to announce here? No. Okay. Um, that's really great though. I'm really excited to put mine together and share it with the world. Yes. I think it really should be popularized and I would really encourage people to make their registries. Yeah. B H M registry. Mm-hmm. And if you're a startup and you are thinking about, or a founder thinking about an idea, this is a really great idea. And I personally would invest. <laughs> I love it. And with that, I think that wraps up our black history month episode. I loved it. Which is more than an episode. Yeah, it's more than an episode. We'll continue these conversations day to day in our lives. Day to day. Bye. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Yeah, But Who Cares? We care a lot about what you think. And actually, your reviews really help us out. So please like, subscribe, follow or comment and leave a review. Even if it's negative, we want to improve. And I'd like to give a big fat disclaimer. We are not professionals. We are not therapists. We are not financial professionals. So please seek out professional help. Um, And 
This podcast was produced with our friends over at Yeah But Who Cares, including our trusty producer, Serena. Serena. Um, it was also produced in partnership with Under the Influence. Shout out Under the Influence. Shout out Under the Influence. Where can people find us? If you want to find us, you can find us on our personal pages, Bree Springs and Sasana. Yes. But more importantly, you can find Yabba Who Cares on Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube. Did I miss anything? I, that's actually the most accurate one. Yeah. That's the most. Those are the most important ones. Yes. So thank you. Goodbye. See you next week. Kisses. Kisses. Kisses.